I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Good morning, Journey. Happy 2023. Excited that you are here with us. Uh, Just as Brandon left stage, he gave me a big hug and said, 2023, it's Michael Jordan's number. And I just got really excited. So I hadn't even thought of that. My childhood hero, 2023. Uh, We are starting a new series today that we're called Rediscovering Joy. We're going to be going through the book of Philippians. And part of the heart behind this is uh, that we asked you to raise your hand and just say, who wants a little bit of joy in their life, a little more joy in their life, probably everybody would raise their hand. Because we live in a world, and let's just be honest, there's a lot of downers and disappointments. And when we look across the landscape of our life, we'll see setbacks and failures. And even out in the world, there's tragedy and disasters. And if we choose to say, this is what we're going to focus on in our life, is this the lens we're going to look through, there's a great opportunity for us to end up with a lot of anxiety a lot of depression, and maybe even a lot of despair. Here's what I believe is true, that you or someone you know is probably struggling right now with anxiety and depression, real struggles. Some of the statistics I looked at, and some of these were were pre-pandemic, says that in a given year, 50 million Americans will suffer with anxiety and depression on an acute level, having panic attacks, phobias, and anxiety disorders. Anxiety disorders, it is the number one mental health issue with women in our country, and with men, it is second only to drug and alcohol abuse. One of the studies that I read too said that the U.S. is by far the most anxious nation in the whole world. USA, USA. There's probably some things we don't want to win at. The Journal of the American Medical Association did a study over the 20th and the beginning of the 21st century, and they said that each generation is three times more likely to suffer from depression than the previous generation. Three times, three times, three times. Exponential growth in the levels of depression in and around our country Friends, we are living in a place of joy deficit. Our hearts are troubled. And since the pandemic, that has only grown. And here's something that's interesting. 
When you look at the, the globe and they do these studies in other countries, other countries, even developing countries, experience one-fifth the level of anxiety and depression that we experience here in the United States. Even though they have fewer of even the basic life necessities and they're experiencing much greater challenges than we are experiencing here. And get this, when those people immigrate to our country within a handful of years, they are experiencing the same level of anxiety and depression that we experience here in the United States. Friends, we are missing something. And you might just think that these studies that I look at, these things that I'm referring to, that this is just things that are happening out there in the world. This doesn't happen in the church. Like nobody in and around here is anxious or depressed. Now, I don't have any statistics for our spiritual family, but I do get texts. I do get emails. I do get prayer requests. I know that this is one of the biggest things that we are praying for in and around people's lives in our congregation. We are not immune from the things of the world. We need an infusion of joy. And that's why we're doing this series that we're calling Rediscover Joy. And we're gonna walk over the next eight weeks through the book of Philippians. And Paul is gonna help us understand what does our life need to be rooted in if we're gonna experience the kind of joy that God would want us to experience. The book of Philippians is a unique book. It's a book that's got a one They've got one theme that runs throughout the whole book, and it is this theme of joy. The word joy and the related verb rejoice is found 12 times in the book of Philippians, and it's found in every chapter from beginning to end. This is the theme, but we've got to ask ourselves, what is our joy rooted in? And now you would think if we were going to read a book that is talking about experiencing joy that the circumstances of Paul's life as he writes this book would be that everything in his life is going up and to the right. Everything is going well for him. But this joy-filled letter is written by the Apostle Paul from prison in Rome. Now, it was always Paul's dream to go to Rome, but Paul always believed that he would go to Rome as a preacher, not a prisoner. Paul was a Roman citizen, and as a Roman citizen, that meant that he had all the rights and privileges that was given to a Roman citizen, but he wasn't afforded those in Jerusalem. He was mistreated. He was unjustly arrested. He was falsely accused. And then as they tried to take him from Jerusalem to Rome, he was shipwrecked, almost lost his life. And we look at the story of Paul's life. He was beaten. He was stoned trying to get to Rome. When he gets there, he finds himself under house arrest. Paul is in a place of hardship. He's in a place of opposition, not only internally in prison, but outside. Friends are deserting him. And there's uncertainties about his future. He doesn't know what's going to happen next. So you would think if there was anyone that was going to write a letter that would be looking at life through dim lenses, it would be Paul. Someone that would be complaining about being victimized by the circumstances of life, it would be Paul. But we don't see that in this letter, none of it. There is no complaining. There's no pouting. There's no woe is me. 
It is a letter that from beginning to end, he's talking about his joy and his rejoicing because he is confident in something that is deeper than the circumstances of his life. And this is why I share this, because I believe this is important. We need to understand Paul's circumstances, because here's what I think. I think if I'm going to listen to someone that's going to tell me about joy, I need to know that they've walked some difficult things. Like if I think that life has just been handed to them, everything's been easy for them, I mean, I'm just going to sit back and say, I can't relate. Paul, that was great for you. That's not the world that I live in. But when I look at what Paul walked through, the deep distress, the potential despair that he walked through, I say to myself, you've got my ear. I will listen to someone that's walked the hard road and knows how to experience joy. And that's what we're gonna allow Paul to do with us over the next eight weeks. Paul, what have you learned about experiencing joy in the midst of the challenges of this life? Let's dive in. We've got a lot of text to cover today. We're gonna start at the beginning of chapter one. I'm gonna skip the first couple verses of the greetings and get to the place where there's Paul's heartfelt introduction and his love for the church in Philippi. Here's what Paul says, starting in verse three, chapter one. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. And here it starts, right at the beginning. I always pray with joy. I always pray with joy. Why? Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And then there's this. He prays with joy because he is confident of this, that he, meaning God, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. At the very beginning of this letter, Paul talks about joy. And he says, church in Philippi, I always pray with joy in my heart for you because of this. I am confident. I am 100% confident and I am confident of this, that there is a good work that is happening in your life. And God is the one who's doing it. When I pray for you, Philippians, I have joy in my heart because I am absolutely certain that God who intersected your life is never gonna abandon you. He's gonna walk with you through all the things of your life and he's gonna do good work in and through your life. I know that to be true and so I pray with joy. And then Paul continues because he starts to talk about what would be a, a normal part of a first century letter. You share your heart for the people that you're writing to and here's what Paul says. He said, it is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And now when we get to verse nine, Paul makes a transition. Nine through 11, he actually prays the things. He says out loud, this is what I'm praying for. This is the good work that I want to see God do in your life, that I pray with joy. Paul continues, here's his prayer. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best 
and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now I'm imagining if I'm listening to this letter, I'm just thinking, thank you, Paul, for praying those things over my life. I wanna see all those things come true in my life. But here's what I believe Paul's also understanding is going on in the life of the Philippians. There's a lot of things happening between this joyful prayer and the good work of God. There's a lot of life that's happening. There's a lot of circumstances. That's short for circumstances, just so you know. We have challenging things that are happening in our life that can obscure our ability to be able to see even the good work of God in our life. Some of you might be sitting there like, I don't know about God's good work in my life because I've got a marriage that is just hanging on by a thread. I don't know if it's gonna make it through this next week. You're saying, I don't know about God's good work in my life. My kids are off the rails. They've walked away from God. They've walked away from me. I don't see God's good work in my life. Some of you are thinking about your financial life. Interest rates are high. Inflation is high. Stock market is low. What's gonna happen in the future? We can have life circumstances. You can have a job. that You're just saying, I don't love my job. I don't like my boss. I don't like my coworkers, and I have to go there every day. You might be having health issues that are obscuring your ability to see God's work in your life. Relationships around you that are just a disaster, brokenness everywhere. Paul, is there really a good work that God is doing in my life? And to me, friends, I believe that Paul actually anticipates that this is the question that the Philippians are going to be asking because they know Paul's situation. They're thinking, Paul, you're in prison. Your dreams are being shattered. All the things that you wanted to do in terms of taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. Now you're stuck in prison. Paul, how can you say that there is a good work that God is doing in your life and through your life? And Paul just says, just watch. And over this next section, what Paul does is he starts to explain to them how even in the midst of these challenging circumstances, these life circumstances that he didn't want or ask for, God is still on the move in his life and through his life. The first thing that he tells them is that the palace guard is now hearing the gospel. Here's what he says, verse 12. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. I want to go back again and say Paul's calling was always to take the good news of Jesus to the ends of the Gentile world. That was his calling. God had asked him to do that. He wanted to go to Rome, which was the center of the empire. But he didn't imagine that he was going to go there as a prisoner rather than a preacher. He was arrested in Jerusalem. And like I said earlier, on the way, he was shipwrecked on the way to Rome. And then when he gets there, he has to wait two years under house arrest, waiting 
for a trial before Caesar that is probably gonna end his life. Two long years. Not an opportunity to get to preach to the masses. He's just stuck in one small little house, chained to a guard every day. But Paul wants the people in Philippi to know this is what's happening every day. Every day, the guards change and a new person comes in. And you know what happens when a new person comes in? Paul gets the opportunity to tell that person what God has done in his life. He can tell his story about how he was a persecutor of Christians. He was out to kill Christians. And then God knocked him off a horse on the way to Damascus and he met Jesus personally, heard the voice of Jesus personally. And Jesus called him to be the spokesperson to the Gentile world. And Paul would be in chains with a guard every day saying, it's amazing the grace of God and that grace is available to you. Guard after guard after guard, year after year, two years. And he's saying the gospel is going forward. Lives are being changed. And here's what's interesting even about the Praetorian guard, the guards that were watching Paul. They were like the elite soldiers. They had the ear of Caesar himself. They were his bodyguards. They worked in the imperial palace. They had influence in the lives of Caesar himself, persuasion in his decision. Paul is looking like, hey, I didn't plan on prison, but as I look at it, God is using this for his glory and even my good. He's accomplishing what I've always wanted is to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And Paul is saying, this is what's happening inside the prison. But that isn't even where it ends. He says, there's great things that are happening even outside of the prison because I'm here. Verse 14, he says, and because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Paul gets stuck in house arrest. And he was their guy. He was the one that they were following. And now he's on the bench. He is inside of a prison. And what did that do? It took other believers who were followers of Paul. And he says that they started to not trust me so much. They started to trust the Lord himself. And they started to do the things that they saw me doing, taking the gospel to cities that didn't know about Jesus. And they were being raised up. That leadership vacuum created an opportunity for other people to step in. And the good news was moving. A leadership vacuum always creates an opportunity for people to step up. And as I was thinking about this, I felt like there was a place where the Lord kind of just nudged me and said, I, I need you to give a strong exhortation. There are some of you that are sitting on the bench you've been invested in, in your life. But now is an opportunity for you to step up and to begin to think about, how do I invest in others? How do I serve others? People have shepherded me. How do I step into shepherding other people? And maybe you're saying, I don't know if I'm ready. I don't know if I'm qualified. Let me say this. If you have felt a nudge from God, you are qualified. He doesn't call people that are qualified. He qualifies the called. If he's nudging you, step in, say yes. 
Step into a leadership vacuum. Be a part of what God is doing in the world. A third thing that Paul talks about in terms of how the, him being in prison is having great things happen for the good is that people, even with wrong motives, are preaching boldly. Listen to this, verse 15. He says, it is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others do others, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. Then I love this. He's like, but what does it matter? But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Paul's rejoicing, even though there are people out there that are doing ministry things, doing things for God, but they don't have the right heart. They had the right message because if their message wasn't the pure gospel, Paul would have confronted it. But there were people that were doing ministry things, the right things with the wrong heart for the wrong reasons. This made me just step back and think a little bit. Can that be us? Can we be involved in doing ministry things, leading, serving with a wrong heart, with a wrong motivation? I think Paul would say, step back and ask yourself, not just what are you doing, but why are you doing the things that you're doing? What is your heart motivation? And here's what I hear from Paul is the reason that he can rejoice is that good things are happening even though people are trying to stir up for things, stir up things for him is because it's not about me. It's not about me and what I get out of it. It's about what happens for God's glory. Is that our heart? Is that our motivation? Do I do what I do for the glory of God or am I doing it because I just wanna look good? I want people to think I'm doing a great job Or do we want to please God? Here's how you'll know. Here's how you'll know. If you take away those attaboys, if if you take away people's observation and affirmation of what you're doing, are you still motivated to love and to serve and to lead? If those things are taken away and you get bitter and you grumble, you've got the wrong motivation, we've got to get our hearts Right, do the right things for the right reasons. So you see, Paul has stepped back and he's telling the church in Philippi, God's at work. Even though there are challenging life circumstances, things that we wouldn't choose necessarily, God is still at work. Church, we can trust that is what Paul wants us to know. What we need to understand is we need to think about what we're focused on. I've used this illustration before, but I'm going to do it again because it's always been helpful for me, and I believe that it's going to be helpful for you. Here's what I want you to do. We're going to all do this together. Everybody's got to participate, or I'm going to make you come up here and do it by yourself. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to hold your hand out in front of me. I want you to spread your fingers wide, and I want me to be in the background of your fingers so that you can see me between your fingers. And here's what I want you to do. Focus on your fingers. 
What I know is true is that when you're focusing on your fingers, I become really blurry in the background, not really clear. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to look through your fingers and I want you to focus your eyes on me. What happens then? Then suddenly your fingers become blurry. What is crystal clear in your eyes is me. This is a great picture of what Paul is trying to help us understand. We can choose what it is that we focus on. Are we gonna focus on the circumstances in our life that are stealing our joy? And many of us do. Are we gonna be able to look through our circumstances and believe what Paul is telling us, that God, even in the midst of this, even if you don't see it, he is at work in your life. Are we gonna believe that that is true? That's what Paul wants the church in Philippi to understand. Now, I was reading this, and I'm imagining that there's some of you out there that are, you're gonna also throw the red flag and just say, I've got an objection. Paul, that's easy for you to say because you were on the other side of circumstances and you were able to look back and see the hand of God, see the things that he was doing in your life. And you were able to say, ah, look now. But I wanna say, Paul, what about the guy that was unjustly arrested, that was accused unjustly? Were you rejoicing then? I wanna talk to the Paul that is holding on to a chunk of a shipwrecked boat out at sea. Is he praising God and rejoicing then? What is Paul saying then? What is his heart? Is he rejoicing there? Honestly, we don't know. We don't know, but this is what we have from Paul. This is a man that has lived both sides of very difficult life circumstances. He's gone ahead. He's gone before us. And he's looking back and telling us, this is what you're gonna experience. If you focus on the circumstances of life and the depression and the despair and the circumstances, your joy is gonna be diminished. He said, you've got to look past it. You've got to look past it and grab a hold of the belief and the trust that God is at work even in the difficult things of life. And when I say that, it doesn't mean that we look past our circumstances. And sometimes I, I hear people say this about difficult circumstances like, oh, it's just all good. It's just all good. It's great. God's using. There are difficult circumstances in your life that are not good. They are not great. God can use them for good in your life. But let's just be honest. Let's don't try to put lipstick on a pig. There are difficult things that people are walking through. We're not going to try to pretend that those things are good. But we are going to say God can use them for good. They can be part of his good work that he wants to do in our life. And what Paul is trying to tell us is we can choose. You get to choose what you focus on. Are you gonna focus on your circumstances? Are you gonna focus on the character of God and your belief that he can do a good work in and through your life in the midst of circumstances? You get to choose. The famous Holocaust survivor, Viktor Frankl, wrote this statement, and I just thought it was so powerful for someone who had walked through something so difficult. He said this. He said, everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of the human freedoms to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances. And if we pursue happiness, meaning the, the, the feelings or the emotions around our circumstances, instead of choosing joy, 
will become what Frankel calls playthings of circumstances. And some of you, you felt that. You felt what it's like to just be tossed around by the waves and the storms of life. You know that a whale never complains about a hurricane. You know why? Because a whale lives his life at a deeper level. The storms of life are going over the top of him. He lives his life at a deeper level. We need to live our life at a deeper level. Not just looking and being tossed about by the circumstances, but a deeper level where we're grabbing a hold of the belief in God's character that he can do a good work in and through us no matter what the circumstances. I have a good friend of mine. Uh, this is one of her favorite books of the Bible, but in recent years, she just walked through what's been arguably the most challenging season of her life. And one of the things I admire so much about her is that her mantra has been, I'm gonna choose joy in the midst of this. I am gonna choose joy. So much so that she actually got it tattooed on her arm. I think Paul would say, yes, that's exactly right. You get to choose what you focus on. You can choose circumstances or you can choose joy. And joy is the belief the confidence that Paul had that he who began a good work in you, he's gonna finish it until the day that you lay eyes on Jesus, whether that's at the end of your life here or Jesus comes back, God is at work. We can choose that kind of joy. Here's the problem. Some of us believe that we can control our circumstances. You can't control circumstances in your life. Some of you think that control in this life, it's absolutely just an illusion. You cannot, you cannot engineer a problem-free life. You can't control the lives and the way people live around you that affect your life. You can't control it. And part of me wants to say, if you could, I would have figured it out by now because I want to, I wanna try to. Remember when I was in my early years in one of my early leadership classes in seminary, one of my professors, as we were doing some personality tests and he was kind of getting to know me a little bit, he made the comment, he said, I kind of see your personality. He said, you're the kind of personality that has a steering wheel in their back pocket all the time so that you can pull it out and try to slap it on any and every situation so that you can try to control it. And I was just thinking, yeah, that's right. He did not mean it as a compliment. <laughs> we cannot control the circumstances of our life. Paul just says, get, get rid of the steering wheel. Don't think that you can control everything. There, there are responsibilities that we need to take in the midst of, and there are things that we can do, but to try to think that we can control circumstances, it is a crazy maker. Paul says, this is the posture of someone who's dealing with control issues, anxiety issues. He says, you've got to relinquish it. This is the posture of someone who says, God, I trust you. Even in the midst of difficult circumstances, I trust you. And this is, I started by talking about anxiety and depression. Anxiety and depression is so often caused by 
our desire, our ability to think that we can control our circumstances. And oftentimes anxiety is the consequence of perceived chaos in our life. We start to feel like I'm, I'm a victim of all these unseen, turbulent, random forces. And as a result of that, my heart gets troubled. Think about it. Some of the most stressed out people that you probably know are the most high control freaks that you know because they fail in the very thing that they're trying to do. They think that they can control everything in their world and they just can't and they fail and they just get in this spiral between anxiety and fear and then failure to control and anxiety and fear and failure to control. We've got to have a different posture. Paul is saying, don't think that you can control. What you need to do is you need to relinquish. You need to relinquish control to a God whose character you can trust, who you actually believe is gonna do the good work and bring it to completion until the day that you see Christ Jesus. How's your joy? How's your joy right now? I wanna ask another question. How's this going? What is, what is your focus? What is it that your heart and your life is focused on? Is it focused on the circumstances of life that are stealing your joy? Are you able to look through the circumstances of life and trust a good God who's gonna do a good work in you? Here's one of the last things I want, you to, I want to hear you say because we don't always have the advantage of being able to know why it is that God does what he does. Like I said, Paul was looking back and he could see how God used it. But friends, our difficult circumstances, we're looking forward and we don't always know what it is that God's gonna do. But what we do know, when we don't understand why God's hand moves the way that it does, we know his heart. We know that his heart is good for us and he will do a good work in us that he will carry on to completion until he sees us face to face. Here's your assignment. Here's some things that I want you to do. Whenever you study a book of the Bible, it's always helpful to read all of it in its context. Two times this week, I want you to just read the entire book of Philippians from beginning to end. It'll only take a few minutes. It's only four short chapters, but I want you to do that. And here's an assignment as well. Uh, I want you to look at the online, the Bible Project video for Philippians. All you have to do is Google Bible Project Philippians, and this video will come up. It's just an overview so that you can understand the way Paul is thinking about kind of his flow of thought in this letter. This will help give you context for all of the things that are coming up. And then if you use that QR code that's on the chair back in front of you, there's some reflection questions on there because I want you to wrestle with things. I want you to start to wrestle with what are the circumstances in my life that are stealing my joy? What are the things that are grabbing a hold of my attention? other than the good work of God and my trust in his character? What is grabbing your attention? And then ask yourself, do I have control in these things? Is there anything that I can do or is this out of my control and I just need to relinquish it to God and trust him? And then even ask yourself, can I see the hand of God in this? Even if it's difficult, can I see the hand of God working in my life? And the last thing I want you to do is that prayer, 9 to 11, that Paul prayed over the church in Philippi. I want you to spend some time this week praying that over your own life. 
that that good work would be true in your life as well. And as we close, um, I'm really excited about this because we're, we're gonna celebrate communion. And this is just a tangible way for us to apply everything that we've been talking about today. Because friends, Jesus loves you. He knows what it's like to walk through this life. He knows the difficulties of this life. He knows how circumstances can distract us. But he wanted to give us an opportunity together as a spiritual family to not hold out our hand and just look at the circumstances, but to look through our circumstances to remind ourselves of a good God and what it is that he was willing to do for us. And friends, this is what communion is, is a practical application of this. It's a chance for us to set down the difficult circumstances of our life, to don't focus on that, but to look through at the character of God and look at Jesus, who was willing to give his life to pay the penalty for sin that you deserved to pay. He lived the life that you should have lived and he died the death that we deserved to die and he did that in our place. And even if I don't understand the circumstances of life, I understand the heart of God when I look at the cross. And this is our opportunity to remember the cross, remember who God is and what it is that he's done for us. Here's my ask. Before you come up and take communion today, would you just quiet your heart and just simply say, Jesus, I trust you. You could even name to him the circumstances of your life that you know are stealing your joy, but I want you to say, Jesus, I trust you. And when I look at the cross, I know that you love me. I know that I can trust you. When I don't understand your hand, Jesus, I know your heart. Let's pray. Jesus, we are so grateful that we have this opportunity to remember your goodness. We know, Jesus, that you're gonna walk through everything with us. And we can be confident, Jesus, that you, you who began a good work in me will carry it on to completion until we see you face to face. And Jesus, as we celebrate your supper today, we say thank you. Thank you that we have this opportunity to remember and it's in your powerful and resurrected name that we pray. And all God's people said, amen.